you have your Bibles with you today, I'm going to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible and you would like one, there are some available in the back. Feel free to pick one up. I am going to encourage you to have your Bible open because we're going to be following along in Matthew chapter 10, starting with verse 24, but I'm going to be pointing out some verses as we go. And I'm probably not going to have time to read each and every one of those a second time. And so I just encourage you to have your Bible open so you can follow along. Hear what the Gospel of Matthew says to us today. Matthew 10, starting with verse 24. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household. So do not be afraid of them. For there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Jesus, these are challenging words that you've given us today. But they're recorded here in our Bible because of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so you must have something for us. You must want to speak some truth into our life today, and so I pray that we would open our lives, open our hearts and our minds to receive these words. In your name we pray, amen. I think to begin to wrestle with these words, and they are challenging, aren't they? They're going to be challenging to listen to, but you can imagine they're going to be challenging for me to deliver as well. I think we need to be reminded where we've been. So when we started this month, the month of June, we're coming to the end of it now, but when we started, the very first Sunday of the month of June, you might recall, was Trinity Sunday. Trinity Sunday is kind of an interesting Sunday because it stands as sort of this transitional point in the Christian calendar where we transition into what's called ordinary time. Now, don't let that name fool you. Ordinary time doesn't mean that it doesn't matter and that you could just stop coming to church in the summer. That's not right. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. Uh, it's, it's, 
It comes from the Latin that means uh, ordered or measured or numbered. The point of this season is that we intentionally look at what it means to follow Jesus Christ in this world. So for first, the first six months of the Christian calendar that starts in Advent and then moves all the way to Trinity Sunday, in the first six months, what we're really focused on is the life of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he does in this world. And then we come to Trinity Sunday. You might recall that the text was the Great Commission text from the end of, the, of Matthew's gospel, where we are commissioned to go into the world. So for the second half of the Christian calendar, the ordinary time, you and I are asking questions of what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Of we've wrestled with who he is and what he has done. Now it's our turn to wrestle with who are we in light of him? What is he calling us to? In other words, friends, what is the church all about? So for this second half of the year, we go back to the Gospels of Matthew this year. We go to the red letters of your gospel, if you have the red letters, Jesus' teachings, so that we can listen to what he has to say to us, because Jesus Christ did not just come into this world to die on the cross for our sins. Did you know that? He also came to teach us how to live. So this is why we were turning back to his teachings and asking ourselves, what does it mean to be the church in the world? And if you were with us a couple weeks ago, then you heard an excellent message from Pastor Emily. And I'm thankful that she stepped into the pulpit to preach for me, by the way, because I was gone. And, and I'm also grateful to be a part of a church that has been continually raising up new preachers. You have this history, church. It's awesome. And I was thankful that she got to deliver the sermon. It was her first sermon as an ordained elder in the Church of the Nazarene. I, I, I watched it online. It would have been fun to be here. But it was an excellent message. You might recall that it centered on this call of Jesus to come follow me. But this call to come follow broke all the expectations, all the norms of the day. You might recall that outsiders were called to follow just like insiders that it was tax collectors and sinners that were called alongside the righteous, that it was Gentiles called alongside the Jewish people. Oh, shocking. Now, on one level, these words are to be received by us as individuals. Today, I hope you've heard, come follow me. Jesus whispering to you through song, through prayer, through scripture, come follow me. He wants you to follow him. But friends, we're not just individuals, are we? Each and every week we gather as a, as a group of individuals, the called out group, the ecclesia, the church. We gather as a community. And so the question that I have for you is, what does it mean to have a Christ that is saying, come follow me, and we are a called out group of people? Shouldn't the church also be the people that are going to all the places in our world, the unexpected corners of our world, saying to those who might seem like they should be on the outside looking in, no, no, friend, I have good news for you. Jesus is calling you by name. Come follow. Come meet Jesus. I have good news. So if you were here last Sunday, you heard that message, didn't you? That we, with compassion compelling us, not judgmentalism, not anger, 
Not frustration with the world. No, no, no. The motivation for God's people is compassion for the world with compassion as our motivator. We are to go into the world and declare good news. Good news. At home, at work, and at play, our lives, your lives, are meant to be a living testimony of that good news. So Jesus said to us at the end of the message last week, oh friends, the field is ripe for harvest. Pray that God would send workers into the field. Oh church, we have work to do, don't we? And then we have today's text. And it stands as this kind of counterpoint to what we've been preaching for the last three weeks. So listen carefully to what I've observed in this text. We, Christ's followers, are for others. Amen? Good. You're with me. But that does not mean that others are always for us. Mm. We are motivated by compassion for all. Amen? That does not mean that others are motivated by compassion for us. We are called to look beyond the sin of the other so that we can help the other find their true identity in Jesus Christ. Oh, that is really good work that we've been called to. Godly work, in fact. But friends, the godly work that we have been called to might be met by apathy in the other, rejection in the other even hostility in the other. Jesus declares to his disciples in chapter 10, verse 16, not words that I read today, but a little bit previous, that his disciples are like sheep being sent out amongst the wolves. A little bit later, he says, expect to be flogged. Expect trials. And then in verse 23, he says, when you are persecuted, not if you are persecuted, when? Mm. These are not encouraging words, are they? In one moment, Jesus is saying, the field is ripe for harvest. Look around you. Pray that there would be workers to go into the field so that the good work that God is calling us to can be completed, can be done. Oh, do you hear the optimism? Do you hear the hope that is in these words? It seems as if the world is about to be transformed, that all is about to be set right. And then we turn the page of our scriptures and Jesus turns to his disciples, the very workers that he says go into the field. He says, oh, by the way, it might not go well with you in the field. <laughs> oh, sometimes you might find that there are going to be those that attack you. The good news that we carry with us might not always be received as good news. And people may respond to us in hostility and division. Did you notice verses 34 through 37 that this division might even touch our own families? I'm not going to focus on those words, but we need to wrestle with that. What does Jesus mean by those words? It's in the midst of all this sobering news that we find the words of verse 24. The student is not above the teacher nor a servant above his master. 
And what I want you to understand here is that not, Jesus isn't just teaching us about humility. And it's not as if Jesus is saying, you better not forget your place, friend. Obviously, we followers of Christ should never consider ourselves better than Jesus Christ. That goes without saying. That's not Jesus' point here. This is not a teaching about humility, actually. I think it's really a teaching about solidarity. He came to us. Jesus came to us so that we could become like him. Do you believe that? He came to us so that we could become like him. And friends, in the context of these verses that have been read this morning, it means that we might become like him in suffering. It would be nice if our prayer of conversion somehow cloaked us in an immunity bubble, don't you think? So that no bad news or no bad thing could happen to us once we had given our lives to Jesus Christ. We, of course, know that this isn't true at all. We are not given superpowers. No immunity comes to us because we give our lives over to Christ. If some in the world responded to Jesus Christ, God incarnate, with anger, malice, apathy, rejection and violence, all things that we read happen to Jesus in the Gospels, then friends, if you and I live like Jesus in this world, don't you think it stands to reason that we too might face some of these very things? Jesus came healing and saving, and some said he was demon-possessed, powered by Satan himself, we read in other places in the gospel. In this one, Jesus references as Beelzebul. That's what the world, that's what those that saw Jesus doing all the good things that he was doing. He is powered by Satan himself. Can you imagine that? I actually think some of us in here probably can imagine that. That something good that we've offered, that, that we have tasted, we know what it means to be vilified for doing good, for trying to be faithful to Jesus Christ, for trying to share our faith with others. Have you ever had an experience where that has gone sideways for you? And I'm not talking about just cold calling somebody on their door and trying to present the gospel. I'm talking about friends and family that you either through your words of talking about your own faith or even just in your actions have tried to present the gospel to another person. The good news of Jesus Christ and that person didn't just say, no, thank you. I'm not interested today. Have a nice day. We'll talk later. That would be okay. But actually took your actions, your words, and twisted it in such a way that now you were the bad guy. Oh, you're doing this because you're judging me. Have you ever been there? Have you heard that before? Oh, you Christians, you're always judging people. We think you're better than everybody else. Take this good thing that we were trying to do, and they twist it, and they turn it against us. And Jesus says, friend, when that happens to you, guess what? I've been there. They did that to me too. They're going to do it to you. But Jesus isn't done. He says in verse 27, What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. And this isn't just some cryptic saying, like, what in the world, Jesus? What does that mean? I actually think this is a bit of a prophetic statement. Here's why. 
Friends, we are here today because many tens of thousands of Christians who have gone before us were willing to suffer for the gospel. That's why you and I are here today, is because Christians before us were willing to suffer for the gospel. Their very lives became the seed of the church. So what started as a mere whisper, 12 disciples. At the end of Jesus's ministry, it's 120 in the upper room. But today, friends, it's a global phenomenon. It's a global movement, the church of Jesus Christ. It's all over the globe. Billions of Christians in this world. Our lives, even in the suffering, adds one more voice to the shout that has been echoing through the ages. Jesus Christ is Lord. In other words, the suffering we experience for following Jesus is never, ever, ever for nothing, friends. We might wish we had an immunity bubble, but I have good news for you. Even though we suffer for the good news, for the gospel, it's never for nothing. Somehow it adds to the witness of the truth of God in this world. We are here because of those who have suffered before us. Friends, what about the ones that are coming after us? Might our suffering right now, today, in the world that we're living in right now, it's uncomfortable, it's painful, we don't like it, but might our witness in the midst of the suffering be the seed for the next generation to hear the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord? So friends, do not be afraid, Jesus is telling us. Be bold in your faith. Don't let negativity shut down your witness. Man, I'm running out of time. Are you with me? Should we, are we done there? Or we got, you got room for some more? <laughs> we better go on. Jesus goes on. I think it's important for us to note that in, in these six verses that I'm trying to highlight, so we've had sort of this discouraging kind of presentation, but three times in the six verses, Jesus says, do not be afraid. You've heard, heard uh, that first time already in verse 26. Now we're going to jump to 28. And Jesus asked, why should we be most concerned with people who can only harm us physically when God is the keeper of our spirits and souls? What I need you to understand is that this isn't Jesus trying to, to make you cower in fear that God can annihilate us at any moment. That is not what Jesus is trying to say here. What Jesus is actually trying to do is encourage his followers. Notice who we are not to be afraid of. Is it that we're not to be afraid of God? No, we're not to be afraid of them. Who's the them? It's the wolves that we've already referenced. It's those that are punishing, those that are abusing God's followers, Jesus's followers, those who are trying to do the good work that we're called to. It is a world that is turned against them. They are the ones that we're not to be afraid of. He's trying to give us perspective, I think. Of course, suffering for our faith hurts, doesn't it? Any of us that have suffered because of our faith know it hurts. It's not, it's not something to just be brushed off. It can wound us deeply. It costs. It can cost relationships. Jesus even suggests that. But Jesus wants us to remember that the harm that is done is only temporary. Now, I don't say that to diminish the pain and suffering that we experience in this world. 
but I offer it to you as perspective. Suffering is only temporary. It is not eternal. It sometimes feels like it might be an eternity that we're going through. Some of us have gone through really, really challenging and difficult things. And it may feel as if that is never going to end. But I think Jesus is trying to remind us that suffering never has the final word for his followers in this world. It never has the final word. Who has the final word in our lives? God Almighty. God is the one that has the final word. And Jesus is saying, do not be afraid. Yes, you may suffer. Yes, it may feel like it's lasting for a while. But friends, it is only temporary. God has the final word for you. And God is with you. His final word is not a word of judgment for his followers. It is for those who are not following. Now, if these words are not all that encouraging to you, then maybe these final ones from verse 29 will be. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. Two sparrows, worth no more than a penny, are insignificant by all accounts, aren't they? I googled how many birds are there in the world. Somehow Google knows this. <laughs> I just said birds. 50 billion, Shane. 50 billion birds. <laughs> what does two birds matter? What does this matter when we're talking about the suffering for Christ? What is Jesus' point here? Friends, what does... He say about the two birds, if there are 50 billion birds on the earth right now, this isn't even all time, but right now, and God knows two of them, what does, what does Jesus say about the two? That God cares for the two. He cares for two out of 50 billion. That's who our God is. And if he knows the two birds, then Jesus says, how much more does he know you? How much more are you worth to him? He knows you so well that he knows the number of hairs on your head. There's a joke there, but I'm not going to tell it. <laughs> it's intimate knowledge, right? That's what, it's, that's what the text is saying to us. God knows us, that he sees us, that he's with us. So this is kind of a hard sermon, really. I like last week's sermon. <laughs> I get to stand before you and say, look, good news. We could just be motivated by compassion to love others, and we can go out into the field, and we can build the kingdom of God. <laughs> and then we turn the page, and Jesus says, yeah, all that's true, but some in the world are going to reject you, and it's not always going to go well with you, and it's going to be hard and it might even be painful. But God sees you. God is with you. And if God is with us, who can be against us? Amen? I'm going to ask the praise team to come forward as you kind of wrestle with these words. I'll have some final words once we're done singing a song. I'm going to invite you to stand. And as they're coming, let me just offer a prayer, God. I don't know... 
I don't know what you're trying to say to each one of us in here. I just know that you are a God that is always, always, always speaking to us. You want to say something to me, to my friends. So in this next song, as we're reflecting, as we're thinking, as we're opening ourselves up to your Holy Spirit, would you speak clearly? Help us to receive these words today so that we can be transformed into your holy people. In Christ's name we pray, amen.